So, I mean, here we are again, back talking about F1. Second episode, might have been with you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, if you haven't already, go check out the first episode. We'll probably link it down below. But yeah, this episode, we'll take a look at Massey's indecisiveness, his inconsistency, and more importantly, the 2022 regulations, which promises to shake things up and level the playing field. Yeah, I think this year has been particularly bad for just how F1 has been conducted. I mean, just the amount of controversy it's created and how convoluted it's become is just tiring for, for the viewers and particularly the drivers. I mean, teams themselves don't know what the heck is happening. I mean, I mean, the drivers want consistency because they need to know what they're allowed to do and what they aren't. And with Massey's stewardship, we can see various drivers getting away with stuff other, other drivers haven't been able to. So the, the drivers themselves just want a line to be drawn and the line maintained. Yeah, I think, I think the, the only consistent thing throughout the season was the inconsistency in the stewarding. Uh, because if you look at Bahrain, the first race of the season, um, there was a massive debacle. I know, now it seems small. About track limits. Because a lot of drivers were allowed to go off track and then Verstappen overtook Hamilton in the same spot, but he was off track. So that was showing the fact that um, the stewards, first of all, for some reason decided not to go with the smartest decision and keeping all track limits on the white lines, but just showed that um, this season was going to be one which would be heavily dependent on how stewarding took place. Because we had so many moments. We had Austria, where track limits were so strict that even normal uh, driver times were uh, removed from qualifying. But then we went to places like Brazil, where we know the infamous incident we all will talk yeah. about. But I do not want to be killed by West Arpen fans, so I shall not mention it. I think I think there have been so many things this season that like the smaller things have been kind of overshadowed by the huge controversies created in the particular races. Like exactly, obviously, obviously Abu Dhabi being one. But yeah. I think people people who say that Mas Asi hasn't like done an okay job, they then they forget like the a lot of thing controversial things have happened. It's just some kind of go under the radar. Yeah, I mean like a lot of fans. The problems as such don't aren't actually just limited to the way the steward the stewarding team conduct themselves. It's actually more with the rule book also and the way the FIA deals with F1. So the rule book kind of is very restrictive and convoluted. It's hard for the an average fan to understand. I mean, I, I can't believe I'm quoting Christian Horner, but we need to let the drivers race. We need to simplify the rule book and let the drivers understand what they can do. We need to draw a line and maintain that line. Yeah, I think, I mean, I can't feel bad for Massey. I mean, it's not everything can't be his fault. Uh, he is, he works in a team, obviously. And there are a lot of other pressures coming from the teams themselves because they're, they're bringing in a lot of money so they can get to have the kind of uh, pressure over how F1 is conducted. Yeah, I so, mean, that's going to be honestly, the inherent part of F1. I mean, money plays a major role. But the one step that the FAA took to cut communications between the team principals and the stewarding room during races, I think that's a step in the right direction. In my opinion, Massey is like a lot, he's a lot like how Mattia Binotto was treated last year. The fact is, a lot, I've seen a lot of people on F1 Twitter everywhere, even the people I know, everyone's like, Massey should be fired. 
and Masi is like nothing compared to Charlie Whiting. One thing we all need to remember is Charlie Whiting, even the legend he was, couldn't do it alone. He had a whole team around him. And Masi right now has only one person. So honestly, yeah. the root of all problems um, comes from the FIA. You already have those regulations that are more complicated than international diplomacy in my eyes. <laughs> and then you have... Um, then you have Massey, who is supposed to be the race director of Formula One, which is like the more is um, how do we say it? It's the pinnacle of motorsport, and therefore the IPL uh, of uh, the FIA. But the FIA cons- continues to underinvest in it. <laughs> it cons- consistently underinvest because now it's only Massey. It's no one. It's not a team. And honestly, if the FIA want F1 to stay relevant throughout. Um, time they need to either invest in a team or find some godlike figure who can do Massey's job alone. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, ob- obviously, various fans with different drivers view Massey differently, uh, either as a god in certain situations or as the devil in others. But at the end of the day, I'm sure Massey is actually trying to do the best job he can, and the FA needs to give him some wiggle room and um, some space and time to change essentially the rule book to simplify racing and do a better job. Yeah. I think One it's reason... hard for us to and it'll be hard for us to see. I think we should just wait it out and we can't really thinking about what's gonna happen when it take us so far. Let's just hope that the new um, panel that they're gonna place about like after the debacle that was the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix is gonna do that because see at the end of the day this isn't uh, the time of Bernie Eccleston where you only had the hardcore fans that were involved in F1. It's now become a social thing. I literally see people yeah. who do not understand a single thing about racing itself being passionate about F1. So they need to appeal to the audience in such a way that the audience at least understands what's going on, why it's going on. Otherwise, they will always be this uh, cloud over Massey's head that one day someone will shoot him just because he made a decision. Certainly, Thank the you. fan base for F1 has definitely become more inclusive over the years. Yeah. Before it was kind of just motorsport geeks kind of <laughs> participating, but you see like a lot of people have joined in. Yeah. yeah. I mm-hmm. think at this point, we can move on to the new regulations for 2022. Yeah, I mean, the regulations also are kind of aimed at what Ali said, appealing to a larger audience, providing much more uh, clashes between drivers allowing them to race closer to each other and kind of level the playing field. That's actually the main point of the relations to level the playing field and cut the head start of the advantages that the teams with more money have over the smaller teams. So what exactly Definitely. is the 2022 regulations? So these regulations were actually meant for 20 for the previous season, but could delay due to COVID. The main impact they have is on the aero structure of the cars costs and the cost or the amount that the company or the teams can spend on their development and uh, program for a particular season. I think the the major, in terms of aerodynamics, I think the first, the most obvious thing is how they're trying to reduce the dependence on, you know, the wings for uh, getting downforce in the cars and the kind of shift to the ground effects that I think, I think Adi would know this best. What time? Ground effects were there in the early F1. Yeah, I, I believe it was banned during just before the turn of the century. And honestly, the reason they were banned was because they made cars so fast. Because see, 
nowadays in F1, by nowadays I mean 2021 and that time, you have to choose between whether you want downforce, which gives you speed in cornering, or if you want um, less drag, which gives you speed in the states. What happened yeah. when ground effect was there previously was now teams didn't have to care about um, downforce from the wings. So they could have gone for a more um, Monza type um, thing where, would, where you would see um, a rear wing that was not as thick and you would see wings that weren't at such an angle. And what this would do is this would have less drag on the car and therefore you would see the high speeds we see around Monza. And this would be on tracks like Monaco because... Um, the downforce is coming from ground effect. But now with these regulations, what we see is these regulations are essentially forcing teams to now not look at the wings as the um, area where you check for downforce because uh, now you have the ground effect. And one thing, one thing this really does is it eliminates the dirty air. Now exactly. in Monza, you see drivers wanting to follow each other. This is because there's less air to get and they get a toe. Now what uh, under tracks like Monaco, I'm going to use Monaco because that's like one of the highest downforce circuits I know. You're going to see a dirty air, which makes cars lose a speed throughout cornering. And this means cars cannot follow each other through cornering. Just to show how much the FIA is um, like optimistic about these new regulations, 2022 is, um, it might be the last year where we see the DRS or the drag reduction system that is mainly the reason for overtakes nowadays. Because the FIA believes after these new changes, we will see that it is much easier to overtake even without the DRS. And honestly, yeah. in my eyes, this is great because it takes away that one extra element and just leaves it to pure racing. Yeah, I think I mean, Pranav can help us with the stats uh, exactly how these regs work. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, to put some numbers to what Adi just said, the current F1 cars lose like approximately 30 to 35% of their downflows when they are uh, chasing a car approximately 20, 20 meters ahead of them, while the same figure increases to around 50% while they are just 10 meters ahead of another car or behind another car. So the 2022 aerodynamic structure aims to reduce that, um, that, that figure to just 4% uh, when they are 20 meters behind and just 18% uh, when they're 10 meters behind. So just to summarize it, the aerostructure's improvement is just to allow better racing throughout and have cars closer together and provide a much more exciting experience for the viewers. Yeah, I think, I mean, in the original design, even though I think in, when you do add the ground force effects, I think it kind of reduces the aero efficiency of the car itself. But the mm -hmm. pro about doing that is that now cars can be more competitive in how they want to overtake before, yeah, I mean, like, even because because of the turbulent air coming off the wings of the front car, like the back car didn't have, couldn't really approach the car in the front. Yeah. I mean, even the team principals admitted that the cars when we attacked the slower at the start of the season compared to 2021 speeds, but eventually as we progressed throughout the season, they, they were fairly optimistic that they could, they would at least match as the past this year's speeds. Yeah, I think the initial testing was, I think, uh, the cars could get at least one to two seconds lap times behind the 2021 cars, which is pretty but, good. I mean, for the changes that they're making, it's pretty good. But mind you, those were new cars from previous years. So that, that isn't representative of the actual figures of by the new cars. They're just on the new, periodically 18-inch tires. Yeah, yeah.
Honestly, one thing in these new regulations that is overlooked but is very important is safety. Because as uh, Pranav and Anand, you guys mentioned, there will be slower cars. Yes, there will be slower, but there will be more racing. So at the end of the day, the slower your car is, you there's lower chance of us seeing like the 51G impact that Max Verstappen had to face at Silverstone. And honestly, that is better. We do not want a repeat of the incidents that took away um, racing, um, God, not gods, but uh, legends uh, such as Ayrton Senna and potential uh, champions like Jules Bianchi and Antoine Coubert. We do not want that. We want to see our drivers live and not have to take a risk just to get close to F1. So for some people, it yeah. takes out the thrill, but for a lot of us, it takes out the fear that our favorite driver might not make it out of the Grand Prix. Yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah. I mean that's one thing which we kind of under, uh, don't appreciate enough about modern F1 cars, the advancement in technology with the, from the materials to the frontal impact structures and the halo the planning and research that goes into making all the races safe. Yeah. That's something which we just need to appreciate. Yeah, the technology behind F1 is almost as important as the racing itself. It's a huge factor. I mean, one another thing to... that's important. Another thing <laughs> that's important behind F1 is money. Because if anyone has seen Drive to Survive, you would have remembered that episode Money is King. So let's talk yeah. about the new money changes. I mean, the cost caps, yeah. I mean, the cost cap essentially is just trying to level the playing field again, provide the teams at the back of the grid an opportunity to develop a card which is kind of similar to the cars developed by the best teams like Mercedes and Red Bull. So, I mean, to put a number to it, the cost cap is um, for next 2022 is approximately like 145 million to 140 million. And which further goes down in 2023 to $135 million. So, yeah, so they're slowly getting those numbers down. So, the smaller the fans, teams do have a reasonable, they have a playing field, a level yeah. enough thing. I mean, the new fans who haven't watched F1 before the post cap era, guys, 145 million or 140 million is nothing. Let's, uh, I believe Mercedes spent $3 billion on their 2017 championship car. And let's wow. remember that wasn't one of the one season where Mercedes absolute, absolutely dominated. So I'm pretty sure we, uh, we can expect similar figures from Ferrari, who was all honestly looking to win that season. Hmm. I, I mean, the, the cost cap is good as such for the F1 as a whole, uh, because as a whole, because like now teams don't need to spend so much to provide a car which can you know compete at the front. But in terms of, and I don't think it really affects you know performance as such. I mean, we have made so much. I think it's mainly people. limiting the top teams, say Mercedes and the Red Bull. Yeah, and Ferrari. I mean, obviously teams will just get more creative now and exactly. utilize their money more wisely, which is just you know brute forcing through development, just making errors along the way and just prototyping. They'll be forced to take a wise step and spend their money wisely. I mean, another effect of the cost cap is now on personnel, in indirectly or directly, whatever you consider it. I mean, there's a huge demand on track set personnel. In 2021 with the 2022 race calendar, like race side personnel had to do triple headers, like three weekends on the go, packing, yeah. unpacking stuff. And they don't get paid a lot. 
uh, they can't receive more pay right pay raises due to the cost cap now teams aren't so focused on give, paying the mechanics more they just they just want a better car and with limited budgets i think the human side of f1 is kind of neglected that's a definitely i mean there's definitely a negative repercussion i think people forget that f1 is a pretty stressful job i mean you're always on the road throughout the year you barely get any breaks because you're trying to fix the car and so obviously they have to they have to earn yeah. enough money just imagine and- being like maybe one of the red bull uh, pit stop mechanics you're always expected to do a sub 2 second pit stop and you're always expected to be traveling and you don't get to see your family that much that's one very big problem with f1 is that you only have that winter break and you have the summer break and apart from that to meet your family you need to first of all you'll have your um, after sunday you'll have a break till maybe the next week's thursday because you need to be at track by thursday and yeah. if you're talking about the effect on personnel with the budget cap we have even seen big heads like uh, simon resta who i believe was the head of chassis engineering at ferrari moving to smaller teams because i ferrari had to unload personnel so they have gone to haas which is a ferrari customer team so i wouldn't be surprised if we see a stronger haas not only because of the money they have put in the car but even because of the technical expertise of simon resta and uh, the stronger ferrari power unit which we saw towards the end of 2021 yeah Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah. we expect so much from the tracks and mechanics, and if they don't receive the appropriate compensation due to cost caps, they are, according to them, they'll be better off working in F2 or Formula E because they'll have lesser work, lesser races to take care of, and receive similar pay. So obviously, they have no reason to work for more for the same compensation that is money. Exactly. Honestly, yeah. with the Formula Two schedule now returning to its original thing and not having three races every race weekend, um, that shows that a sign that uh, it is very much possible for Formula One to actually look at it, uh, at look and take care of its employees. Because Formula Two, even though it doesn't get that much publicity, is also seen at most race weekends and. Therefore, if Formula Two can do it, I do not see a reason why F1 can't at least look into making a smaller schedule. Like we know, money is king, but you do not want F1 to have too many races and therefore lose its prestige. Because I, as a Formula One fan, I don't think I'll be so passionate if I see a race every weekend. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it takes yeah. takes a bit exclusivity of a race weekend. If you have like every weekend, there's it's kind of like okay, I'll miss this race. I'll just watch the next one. That's Not what I believe F1 yeah. is. Yeah, that means it's the worst thing to happen. Yeah. I think another talking about the car again. I think another change was the weight increase because mainly due to the new tires. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the new tires and the safety structures are estimated to increase the weight by like forty kilograms. That's and, and that's the minimum weight of a car increasing to by forty kilograms. So that takes it to like an yeah. all-time high in terms of weight. So this this has an impact in terms of speed. Like it makes the cars, like the twenty twenty two cars, like approximately two seconds slower. But again, I, I hope that this weight added weight, uh, which comes from the wheel covers, the bigger wheels, and the safety structures, ultimately just provide better racing and better safety. Yeah. 
the this loss should be compensated in better quality way sanctuary yeah now I mean, for those people who are going to whine about us having bigger wheels guys let's remember the wheels are <laughs> manufactured by f1 they're manufactured by pirelli who if you and a lot of you will be surprised actually manufacture commercial tires so who as a you? company who you? Would, <laughs> you would, I mean, that's what f1 right i mean that's essentially f1 companies take pioneer technology in f1 and if it works great then they transfer it to consumer goods so essentially yes f1 is um, kind of like an expo for companies to show off their products yeah. essentially like in one is a small aspect but it is a significant aspect of how i do not know i mean that's the major aspect why companies put so much money into it other than obviously just winning it and the prestige yeah, because winning uh, winning as a uh, team does not give give you a profit because guys let's just remember as i said the 3 billion dollars that we had a mercedes spending i think we got um something in the low millions and that to ferrari got paid higher even though they finished second so f1 is not a business where you'll get um profits from the thing um but you will get profits from the effects that you have on the market exactly, exactly. i mean with the uh, now the 18 inch wheels are more representative of what you see in road cars but at least obviously having a business aspect to it it's commercial business so i yeah. mean they say that this 18 inch wheels prevent overheating and which causes the tires to kind of slide but we can see other motives too for example the wheel covers right which they claim reduce drag um reduce drag are a perfect opportunity for more ads i mean you can just have an led strip there led panel and you can just show whatever you want I think yeah. McLaren did that, right? At postseason, yeah, I mean, they did test it. I think for one lap, Landon Norris had it on, and they just removed it. But that's kind of indicative of what. Honestly, it looked that. good. It looked good. Whoa. I mean, it depends on what ads you see. Yeah, yeah, but like, if suppose um, instead of ads, if F1 uses it for maybe car numbers, so then you can. This obviously won't help us TV viewers. We have a little grid that shows. But for fans who go to the um races to the grand prix physically it will help a lot because you can't see that small number they have put on the side of the car you will just yeah. see oh there's a ferrari going oh there's a mclaren going but you don't know who's driving it because unless you have like some eagle eyes for some reason yeah, yeah. i mean they can also do apply the same technology that they have in football matches just have a panel and display it provides much more flexibility for you know uh what is this tv um tv rights holders they can just display whatever ads they want in different regions so yeah plenty of opportunities here i'm i'm not sure, sure. but i think that's enough talking about the wheels let's get to the predictions guys that this is going to be spicy yeah i mean that's what you're waiting for right adi i mean that's the main draw or the juicy part of this podcast completely agreed I, i just came here for the prediction guys <laughs> yeah i mean where do we start i mean each team has their own story and yeah the haas i mean haas probably the most that stake this season didn't develop last year's cars and putting It all the money biggest risk. yeah i mean like all their money on this year's cars i mean they just wrote off last season i mean hopefully that gamble pays off and they can boost it to the midfield but Honestly, if I were Gene Haas, 
I would just like this would be a do or die season because if it's not, then I would sell it to people like William Story. You guys, if you don't know William Story, Google him. You'll know why I hate him. And um and me or maybe Dimitri Mazepin because those are people who want to buy their way into F1. And Gene Haas, he's a great guy. He's uh, if you look at NASCAR, Haas is one of the biggest names in NASCAR. But they've clearly failed here if they do not um get to maybe even the midfield. Yeah. So, so in think- my eyes, it is a do or die season for Gene Haas. Exactly. Yeah. So if it works out, I mean, great for them. But if it doesn't, it might be very interesting. How how I mean, more than interesting, it's going to be painful for the team. They're probably going to have to lay off or do stuff which they won't want to do. True. Mm-hmm. Guys, I think that's enough about Haas. Let's talk about another team, Alfa Romeo Racing, better known mm-hmm. as Sauber, I as mean, we use on the driver lineup. I mean, <laughs> you talk about, I mean, there's not much to talk about Alfa Romeo. I mean, that is quite a lot, but Bottas and Joe. I mean, Bottas excellent driver. I think Bottas is excellent at it, but although the I don't know about the car, but he's a great driver, as obviously Adi <laughs> likes to hear. Yes. But uh, he'll do well. I don't know about the new Joe guy. I mean, yeah. I new mean, Joe guy. <laughs> Honestly, um. I think I think Alfa Romeo can develop at least a midfield car, just because of the extra uh, money they get from Joe's Chinese sponsors. Obviously, not at the start, but I'm saying throughout um, season, uh, throughout the season, they'll get a lot of developments. Plus, we need to remember a lot of Alfa Romeo's um, success will be tied to Ferrari because the Ferrari is not only the power unit supplier, but they have a close working relationship with um, the Maranello team. So if Ferrari do well, I wouldn't be surprised to see Alfa Romeo do well. Yeah, my I mean, views on Joe, I honestly think Joe will have a good rookie season. Um, maybe even rookie of the year, considering there are no new rookies in this um, F1 grid. But just because Joe managed to challenge um, Piastri for the um, F2 championship, which we haven't seen happen with any of the other paid drivers, I believe Mazepin came fifth in his last season. Um, but Joe came second, so uh, third, my bad. So I honestly think that will be a good driver pairing. Obviously, Joe will not stand out, but he'll be decent at worst. I mean, I mean, the main purpose of Joe for Alfa Romeo is essentially the same as what Haas does with Mazepin, money. And I, I don't, I believe Alfa Romeo hasn't even confirmed the contract tenure of Joe, so. I think it's kind of open-ended based on his performance and the amount of money he brings in. So, quite a lot at stake for Joe, quite a lot at stake for Bottas. Bottas, the first time out of the series in quite a while. So, yeah, quite a bit to prove. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he's proved a lot. I think it's just, yeah, it'll be a bit different for him. After, I mean, he's been at Mercedes for so long, right? So, yeah. The fact that he's been able to keep up with Hamilton is a big thing. Let's just remember. Exactly. Just yeah. Yeah, because yeah, Hamilton... One of the best, arguably the best driver of all time, and Bottas is able to go two and two with him. So yeah, just speaks about his skill level. Another driver who has to prove his skill is Albon, Alex Albon, with Williams racing this time. Yes, come back. Honestly, it's a do or die season for him because if he cannot um, wipe the floor with Latifi. 
honestly, Latifi will now look like a decent driver, which would be a big thing for his image. But he will also, uh, Alex Albon will also be seen to just be that one hit wonder who did a miracle in his first season at Red, Red Bull, I believe, in 2019. But 2020 just proved that uh, he wasn't ready for it. And yeah. if he doesn't yeah. outperform um, Latifi, like even if he gets out-qualified by uh, Latifi once, his contract is dead because he is now expected to be the new team leader. He's supposed to be the next George Russell. Yeah. Mm. I mean, yeah. Latifi, I mean, not a lot of, not a lot to talk about him. It's just that. It's going to be tough for Albon. Yeah. I mean, definitely. Definitely tough for Albon. Tough year for Williams. Past couple of years, quite tough. Then I mean, sure. let's just hope the if they do, if the glory days. Dot. I mean, if they if I, the glory days were the highs, then this is definitely their lows. Yeah. I think another team going through the lows is Aston Martin. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> Abysmal year compared to expectations. From the Lance family, but yeah, Vettel stewardship might be useful or might bear fruit this next season in 2022. Honestly, I do not see them uh, working well this year just because all the hype, all the money that Lawrence Stroll has put into the team, all of that has been towards infrastructure. And that infrastructure will only yeah. be. Um, of use in 2023. So honestly, if if Vettel somehow gets a podium and maybe even Stroll gets a podium, because we've seen Stroll has been the more consistent performer, but Vettel's highs are just pretty high. That's why he's out outscored his teammate. So if we can see both of them working and maybe not crashing into each other like they did in Russia, <laughs> we can we might be able to see them score points, but I do not think they'll be at the top of the midfield. Yeah, I don't think so either. Just the last season just proved that they aren't. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, like so many develop. lows. I mean, so many lows. Teams do need highs. I mean, one team which did have quite a bit of highs was Alpine, with Ocon winning and Fernando will win. I mean, getting second. This was quite an, an eventful year for them. Yeah, I think it's just consistency for consistency for them is a problem. I mean, they've done pretty good. I mean, that's an understatement, but yeah, they'll keep it up for the next season. In my opinion, it is very bad for Alpi to have been competing with Alpha Tauri. Not only because Alpha Tauri is the second Red Bull team or the junior Red Bull team, it's because it was fighting a team who's had only one driver in the points. Consistently. And yeah. I think if Alpine can actually outperform Alpha Tauri, it will show the um, experience that they have and the fact that maybe they didn't develop their car that much. Because apart from um, the Renault power units um, reliability, I did not see anything standing out uh, with Alpine. But now that we've spoken about Alpha Tauri, I think we should share our views on that. Mm. I think Sonoda has a lot of potential. I mean, yeah. even though I mean, performance wasn't that great, he, as a rookie... He showed glimpses of uh, proper championship material, if you ask me. 
Definitely, yeah. I think we voted him the best rookie, right, in the last. Yeah, <laughs> the last. Yeah. Time. But yeah. he didn't have a lot of competition. Let's be honest. <laughs> That's true. That's also true. But, I mean, yeah. but Gasly, David, Drago. I mean, stellar year for him too. After, I mean, what what do you say was his last last year better or last year better for him? Honestly, I think it was his this year, just because. um maybe sonora showed the lack of pace the car had because see even now um a lot of people including me are unsure if it was sonora's lack of pace or if it was the car's lack of pace and just gasly being able to pull out some monster times out of that because if we saw throughout throughout quali we all at many points we had the alpha tauri of gasly place ahead both of the ferrari and the mclaren but yeah. during the race they would lose positions immediately so let's hope alfa tauri works on their race pace and i honestly hope this is pierre's last season at alfa tauri because i do not see him graduating to red bull and i really want him out of that system just because of the driver that he is yeah i mean exactly i mean lot is what we wish but yeah wishful thinking that's a job right now <laughs> speak our minds <laughs> a team that i do not think needs visual thinking is scuderia ferrari i mean for i mean ferrari we we have we don't have a lot of data to go by so we can't really say how their performance is going to be in 2022 but looking at the lorean performance with their hybrid hybrid system gains it is kind of safe to say they do have they have made advancements in their recharging systems So yeah, potential for them to compete for um, compete for champion for the championship next year. Charles Leclerc, quite a bit of highs, but the more consistent one in in the Ferrari's garage was Carlos Sainz, who actually beat his his beat his teammate uh, in his rookie year, not rookie year, in his first year with Ferrari. It's funny you say that, Pranav, because I actually think it's the other way around. I think it was Sainz who was um, the driver who had more highs. Yes, he was more consistent. But honestly, I think um, Leclerc was the faster driver. Just because you look at the number of pole positions they got, and look at the places where, if if you look, like let's start with Monaco, who was on pole, Charles Leclerc, who got a podium out of these two. It was obviously Carlos Sainz. And why was this? This was because Ferrari. forgot to check leclerc's drive shaft which re- led to his retirement eventually but honestly i don't think that's um saying too much about the drivers but i think that says more about um how they have got a great driver lineup who can pick um pick the shit up when one of them stumbles i mean yeah, yeah. i mean yeah as a I mean, team itself i think they have a they have to bring their a game next season i think they'll do pretty well I mean, all teams for that matter need to bring that hundred percent to the table. I mean, okay. So, who, what all teams do you have left? I think Mercedes, Red Bull, and Mercedes, Red Bull, and McLaren. Yeah, McLaren. I mean, McLaren. The only thing I remember is that one, two. <laughs> Honestly, even the Ricardo one this year, I do not see him getting a contract extension unless he like outperforms Lando. Heavily next year, yeah. Just I mean, due to the season being abysmal. 
I mean, okay. the world champion just hasn't been able to adapt his style. That's what basically happened. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Norris. I mean, he is the McLaren future McLaren champion that the team hopes. So yeah, the team has a lot to prove. I mean, they got beat by Ferrari to be three in the constructors. And, and and they actually seem set to win it at the I think the, at the middle of the season. So how it went downhill from the break is something that they need to reflect on. And I mean reflections they help, but what we need to do in front is what really matters. And Mercedes have actually fired up that W13 for next year, right, Adi? Yes, that. I honestly, the firing up of the W13 is something that um, caught me by surprise because I mean, normally it's, they, they, it's a, I don't know if it's a statement uh, towards other teams or if it's towards the lead driver because mm. if the W13 has been fired up so early, either Mercedes has rushed it or they've they've started work on it before the 2020 season because let's remember these regulations were sup- supposed to come much earlier and that time there was nothing there was not even the concept of the cost cap so maybe mercedes already invested heavily in it before and now they've been adding to it and that's why they could fire it up so early because no team has even hinted to coming close to developing their car fully right now exactly yeah, yeah. I mean, two ways you can look at it. One, we can just look at the might of the Mercedes uh, system, the team, and how they're able to sure not work with such high quality. Or you can look at it as just a mere uh, a false indication. As a Mercedes fan, I hope it's not a false indication. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean... Now, speaking of indications, what do you say about Hamilton? Will he return or no? I mean, Honestly, I think he should. Hamilton will return. Yeah. Yes, he has to. I mean, he doesn't have to. For, I don't see a, for, a, a rational reason for him to leave. Unless Mercedes, for some reason, becomes the new Haas, Hamilton won't leave. Because if you look at Hamilton's career, he was in McLaren, I think he won in 2008, and then he was in McLaren till 2013, and during that time, yeah, McLaren was somewhat competitive, but it was always, if Hamil- Hamilton has won every season and he's participated, so whenever he won, it was a massive shock, not because, of, not because Hamilton wasn't a great driver, it was because the McLaren team itself, uh, under Ron Dennis, was losing uh, control, and because the car was not great at all. Yeah, yeah. So I do hope he stays there for the length of his contract, but post that, I do not see him uh, staying in the sport. But now that we've talked about Hamilton, before we get killed by the Verstappen stance, let's. Russell. Oh, yeah, fine. Let's talk about Russell first. Let's Wait, not hurt who, Russell fans. Who will you have talk about? There's only one more teammate. Uh, that Hamilton. No, has. no. I was going to talk about Verstappen, but let's talk about the Russell fans first. Yeah, I mean Russell obviously get bumped up to the pairing team, the team he aspired to drive for. A lot of potential. I mean, the Sakia Grand Prix, Grand Prix where he was called up. I mean, he would have won the race 
if not for the mass up from the mercedes and so yeah i think I mean, mercedes is going to be a strong team yeah i mean it was all no a strong team hopefully can keep it up yeah i mean yeah we just don't want the hamilton crossbox situation where they end up just like fighting themselves and breaking them down down but yeah another team i think like- with russell we'll see one of three things either he'll become a gasly and fail horrifically or he'll become a nico rosberg and essentially get that toxic environment back into the mercedes team or he'll become bottas now bottas. depending on whose fan you are you want one of these things <laughs> i mean i want to, i want none i want him to actually transition into the role hamilton plays and yeah Win for Mercedes again. Yeah, that is after Hamilton leaves, by the way. True. True. Okay, now. We'll have to be a little. We have to tread this carefully. Carefully. Tread carefully. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, to put it straightly, I mean, to put it straight, Red Bull, I believe, invested quite heavily in the 2021 season. I mean, Honda is kind of leaving them. next year obviously we know they're still going to work on that engine but i'm not too sure how well this team up is going to be i mean that's way to be seen but i believe it might not be such a good start for the season they might actually drop down to the back end of the front of the grid and yeah they would not be on par with the mercedes that is one commenting on the drivers though the drivers are good but the car the development i think that has taken a hit i okay you can verstappen fans are probably going to shoot me for this but i honestly do not see verstappen keeping his number one on the car next year uh, after like on 2023 just because um if you look at the aero regs it tends to favor the low rate cars low rate um, which yeah which mercedes has mastered but if you compare that to the red bull it has a high rate concept that is something that put it into contention this year with the new 2020 to 2021 uh, aero changes to the flow and um obviously um we do want to see red bull being competitive because this will be a year where um where we want uh, all teams to be close so that it doesn't become very obvious who's the new haas maybe we see wins from teams like ben, like the benetton times when we saw wins from um teams that we really didn't expect to yeah. i mean yeah i mean the drivers are in bad as i think again it's just the, the car might not be really great yeah. yeah i mean yeah, all just... the teams all the teams the matter have to bring we don't know what's going to happen to be playing the we don't have a lot of certainty we'll have to wait till fab yeah that's a quite a yeah. long wait providing like what stellar battle that was happen and hamilton have provided for us this season so quite a long and painful wait at that so i think now that we've talked about good drivers we can talk about the bad drivers who found their way into f1 now obviously by bad, bad i don't mean the bad kind that we find on bangalore roads but bad <laughs> comparatively yeah i mean i i can i can tell let you know one thing these drivers that we see in Nepal they can't drive in India that's for sure <laughs> <laughs> just i mean they're losing 
This reminds me of the time Vettel cracked that joke that it's easier to drive an F1 car than to drive on Indian roads. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I believe it was at the Indian Grand Prix. <laughs> Did he? Yeah, quite yeah. apt. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So, okay, so buying your way into F1. So obviously, small teams need money. They aren't able to get so much sponsorships. So how it works essentially is if a driver uh, gets a sponsor along with him, then he gets a team at, I mean, a seat at the team and the team gets more money to develop their car. Um, now, we've, we see that there are a lot of sponsors that come with drivers, like technically, have, um, but um, we are specifically talking about those drivers who we believe shouldn't be, wouldn't rather not shouldn't, wouldn't be a part of F1 at this age when they join um, because of their, um, what should I say, their skill. Yeah, I mean, if you yeah. take it, if you look at straight just from a sports perspective, pay driver shouldn't be a thing. I mean, it should be solely on your performance. But, but in saying but, that, F1 in the end, money has a huge role. I mean, in this world, such a huge world, role right? that I mean, money makes the world go round. So, just to highlight the role of money in F1. Uh, now, there's a certain American team. I'm not going to take names because I don't want to be assassinated. But there's a certain American team that runs its car with a Russian flag as the logo. There are ten teams on the grid. How hard can it be to guess? <laughs> I just want to minimize my chances of dying, Pranav, from this podcast. Fine, happy. Yeah, so buying your way. So, namely three drivers. So, that's Mazepin, Guan Yu Zhou, to a certain extent, and Nicholas Latifi. Those are kind of the three drivers who, uh, who get financial backing to a team in exchange for a seat in the F1 starting trip. Honestly, I mean, Schumacher does, but if you compare it with like skill or such, right? Obviously, Schumacher hasn't proven his worth, but at least comparative to Mazepin, you can't classify him as a a non-deserving driver as such. If we are looking at team uh, drivers who get teams uh, their sponsorships or drivers who have their own sponsor, then that way Hamilton's a paid driver, Verstappen's a paid driver, Sainz is a paid driver, Ricardo's a paid driver. I believe the only few drivers who want paid drivers are Albon, Sonoda, and maybe Leclerc. Yeah. I mean, so, Hamilton, I mean, I think I mean, the only sponsor that Hamilton got was, I think, Tommy Hilfiger, right? Yeah, but the fact that Tommy Hilfiger, the amount of money they put is clearly seen by um, how much Hamilton advertises them and how much Mercedes advertises them. So, but yeah, I, I, we're only talking about Joe Mazepin and Schumacher, but sorry, Joe Mazepin and Latifi. Um, in my eyes, though, I think Latifi has or is on his way to transition out of that pay driver role. Uh, role. Yeah. He's got the skill. And that's, he's got the skill. The fact that he outqualified George Russell's twice in conventional qualifying is a big thing because let's remember, Russell is considered Mr. Saturday. And the fact is, Latifi 
is in a team that no longer needs money if you guys have been under a rock for the past few years williams is no longer an independent team it's owned by dalton capital who is rich as hell so yeah. money is not going to be something they need from um latifi and the fact that they have signed him on shows me that they see something that a lot of us fail to see and let's have a little faith in williams for this mm. i mean they do know how to do stuff right so yeah Yeah. our faith is in unfounded i think it's come time for us to end this podcast but with one thing let's each give a very spicy uh, prediction before preseason testing just to see next year how wrong we were mm. oh man this is good yeah are we you are you suggested the idea you're up first okay i see Okay, you want a spicy one, right? I see Bottas um getting a podium in the Alfa Romeo. I mean, okay. that's very possible. I that is very possible. Like... But one thing which I really want to see is Bottas beating Hamilton with an Alfa Romeo. Is that your prediction or is that your want? <laughs> Because if that is your prediction, you should not be allowed near a casino. Because gambling yeah. isn't your thing. But Anand, it's only you. What is your prediction? Okay. <laughs> On my limited knowledge, I'm going to say what I think about Haas as a team in general. I think they'll play seven. Okay, seven guys, then we've got... We've got our spicy prediction. Anand believes that Haas will not be last and will actually move up to seventh. Then who's last? Have... Wait, wait, wait. One thing which you really need to hear from Anand is who's last. Oh my god. I <laughs> I don't know. Is this a wish, bro? <laughs> Guys, the fact that he's saying he doesn't know makes me think he thinks uh, Red Bull will be there but he doesn't want to get killed by the Red Bull fans. I mean that, that that's more of a thought process happening. Your wish. Guys, why don't you put it in your in the comments who you think Anand believes will come last? Then we'll oh, see next year if you guys got it right. Who do you think I think will come last? Okay, that's an interesting yes. question. <laughs> okay, just... then, yeah, I think we're just loitering around. So guys, our predictions are uh, Anand believes Haas will come seventh and you guys have to guess who he thinks will come last. Pranav thinks Bottas will beat Hamilton in the points. Again, he said Mercedes would be a good car and Haas Romeo would be decent. I don't know where he got that from and I think Bottas will get a podium. Next year let's see how wrong we are. But I think that brings us to the end of this podcast. Guys, please like, share and subscribe. Thank Hashtag you. Ad.